This is episode number 379 with LinkedIn Learning Instructor Christopher Bishop. Welcome to the Super Data Science Podcast. My name is Kirill Eremenko, data science coach and lifestyle entrepreneur. And each week we bring you inspiring people and ideas to help you build your successful career in data science. Thanks for being here today. And now let's make the complex simple. Welcome back to the Super Data Science Podcast, everybody. Super pumped to have you back here on the show. And uh, today we've got a very special guest, Christopher Bishop, who is joining us to talk about careers, how to identify the career that you want. So this podcast will be very useful to you if you're just starting out into the space of data science or you're transitioning into the space of data science and you might be overwhelmed or you're still undecided in which direction you would like to go. Christopher came up with a, a very interesting framework, which is based on his personal career, which started off in a completely unrelated field. Christopher has a Bachelor of Arts in German literature. Then he ventured into music, then he ventured into IBM, into the corporate world, and finally he became a data science career advisor. And Based on his personal career, he's come up with a framework that will help you identify what you're passionate about, what your voice should be about. Uh, then he talks about step two, which is the antenna, where to get the information to drive your passion, to feed your passion. And then he talks about the mesh and how to create that network around you to be surrounded by people who are also passionate about the same thing and open up yourself to new opportunities. So it's the framework of voice antenna mesh. Christopher has a course on LinkedIn learning about this uh, called Future Proofing Your Data Science Career. And in today's podcast, he is sharing the ultimate tips and hacks from there so you can apply it to your personal journey. So very exciting podcast coming up. I actually tested it out on myself during this conversation. So you'll hear that as well. And I can't wait for you to check it out. So without further ado, I bring to you LinkedIn Learning Instructor, Christopher Bishop. Uh, welcome back to the Super Data Science Podcast, everybody. Super excited to have you back here on the show. Today's special guest, Christopher Bishop, is calling in from Connecticut. Chris, how are you going today? Hi there. Welcome from the uh, East Coast of the U.S. Delighted Amazing to, to have you. Amazing to have you on board. Um, how's uh, how's things on the East Coast? Is uh, is uh, are the lockdown slowly easing off, or is it still quite uh, restrictive? It's pretty restricted. I mean, the, they're saying it's going to start to ease up more next week, and I can finally get a haircut after six months of uh, <laughs> looking like a pretty raggedy uh, character here. But it's good. The weather has been great. It's kind of summer up here in this hemisphere. So we've had some lovely summer days here in the in the Woodbirds. Fantastic! That's fantastic. Um, and you said you're only like an hour away from New York, is or like not far away from New York? Yeah, we sort of live in. You could just be described as like the commuter corridor. So a lot of people get on. Used to not so much anymore, but used to get on trains and go into New York 
from here, from Connecticut, every day. I did it myself every day for eight years, in and out. It's a, it's a long trip. And I was doing it before, really, there were laptops and cell phones. I'm dating myself. But, um, but you can do a lot of work now on the train. Um, uh, so it's, you know, it's not, it's not bad. And that's where the work is. So that's where you got to go. Okay. Okay. Gotcha. Well, what's your favorite thing to do on that commute? Well, um, typically read the paper going in, right? And mm -hmm. used to do it reading the actual paper. Now I do it on my phone. I'm going to read a book or listen to a book on Audible or use Blinkist, right? I'm a big fan of that uh, application. The kind of little snackable bites of books that they put together. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. I've read a few on Blinkist. Uh, it's it's quite useful. Yeah, very helpful. Like books that I would never read, um, mm -hmm. but that I just want to get a sense of what they're about. Um, you can you know get through it in like twenty minutes. You get the basic idea. Mm -hmm, and then mm -hmm. I've, there have been instances where I've actually gone back and read the actual book a few times. Mm -hmm. but mostly, it's like, mm -hmm. oh, okay, that's what that's about. Okay, next. You know. Fantastic, fantastic. Okay, well, uh, tell us a bit about yourself. So you are. Um, quite active in the space of data science and specifically even helping people and educating people. Uh, for somebody who doesn't know you, how would you describe the things that you do? Well, so I describe myself as a nonlinear, multimodal careerist. Mm -hmm. So by that, I mean I've had eight careers so far since I graduated from college with a degree in German literature. Really handy. Wow. <laughs> but I was also minoring in music Right after school, I got a gig touring with a band that was opening for the Eagles and ZZ Top and Fleetwood Mac and Frank Zappa. Um, I moved to New York, became a session musician, toured with Robert Palmer, did two tours and a live album at the Dominion Theater, playing bass for him. Um, ended up in the jingle biz in New York, writing music for television commercials. Um, and then taught myself to be a web producer in the sort of early 90s. And much to my surprise, was hired by IBM into corporate internet programs and worked there for 15 years. Um, wow. So I was sort of in the right place at the right time. And I would say that to data scientists as well, be aware of those kinds of um, transitions, right? So I was in the jingle biz and creating music on a synclavier, which was the state of the art digital musical instrument at the time, sort of music as data. I always say music became data about 1985 in New York, when mm. guys and gals with samplers and sequencers uh, came in and they could replicate basically what a whole room full of musicians were doing with kind of a, a rack full of equipment. So again, I think we're, those kinds of transitions around technology and business are going on today in the context of data science, right? So just sort of a heads up. So after IBM, um, I did a TEDx talk and then transitioned into sort of freelance consulting about future of work writ large and more specifically about how technology um, and in this case, data science were driving transitions uh, for business models and what they represent in terms of career and job opportunities. When about was this? Uh, what, what years are we talking about? Um, well, so I left IBM about seven years ago, 2013. Mm -hmm. Not to disparage mm -hmm. IBM, but I did a TEDx talk and then they gave me a package. So that sort of right, shows sure. you what they value. But anyway, <laughs> um, Good so, stuff. yeah, I worked at a company called Future Workplace uh, uh, as a boutique uh, HR consultant for a couple of years. And then my real passion is talking to, not to HR people, with all due respect, but talking to young learners and workers. 
So the segue is, um, speaking at various conferences, I connected with LinkedIn Learning, and they gave me an opportunity to create a course called Future Proofing Your Data Science Career. And that's mm-hmm. sort of, uh, that's available now on LinkedIn Learning. That's uh, it's amazing. I have it up here in front of me. And um, so I've watched of your course, and I, I've mentioned this before in the email, I've watched, I mean, think like two or three videos, and I got so hooked. It's on my to-do list to watch the whole thing. Like, I'm really excited. It's all, And what I like about it, it's only one hour, four minutes long. But even in those couple of videos that were available as free previews, I understood um, that you have a very interesting way of positioning um, as you call it, the future career toolkit. What is important and how to think about your career to future-proof it. And that's exactly what I'd love to dig into this podcast because I think that will give a lot of value to our listeners, many of whom are looking to break into the space of data science or transition into the space of data science from a different career. So maybe let's kick things off. So you uh, mentioned three main concepts in your course, uh, the voice, the antenna, and the mesh. Uh, First of all, Tell us a bit of background, like what kind of thinking, what kind of uh, experiences in your life gave you the material to create this framework, to create this course? It clearly didn't come out of nowhere because, and not from somewhere else because I've never seen this before. Um, so is it personal experiences that people you've spoken with, people you've coached, mentored? I'm just real curious, where do you get the raw material for the course? Yeah, well, so the trigger actually, the catalyst was... Um, that I was invited to give a keynote speech to kick off a series of senior week activities at my alma mater, which is Bennington College. It's a small liberal arts school in Vermont, another state in the U.S. Um, And as I began to put this speech together, I kind of looked back and said, well, I guess I've had a bunch of different careers and began to think more formally about how I'd navigated through them And thinking, is there some way I can sort of codify how I made these various transitions? I mean, it's been, with all lack of modesty, it's been a pretty interesting journey so far, you know. Um, I don't think you meet a lot of guys that played with Robert Palmer and then worked at IBM corporate headquarters. There may be a few, but. um, So over years, really, I sort of analyzed my transitions and what I did and what was consistent uh, about going from one of these careers to the next. And I put together this future career toolkit, uh, thinking about you know, what the and what the tools might be, because the idea was how could my experience be codified to benefit the next generation? You know, I'm at that point where um, I've done a lot of different interesting things. And I think, again, today's learners are going to follow a model similar to what I, the way I've lived, the way I've worked. I mean, U.S. Mm-hmm. Bureau of Labor Statistics says today's learners are going to have eight to 10 jobs by the time they're 38. Other research says 85% of the jobs today's learners are going to do in the next decade or so haven't been invented yet. And they're going to use technology that doesn't exist, that makes things like cell phones, you know, look antiquated. It's going to be like, uh, you know, Grandpa, you mean you had to carry something around in your pocket to talk to Grandma? That's pretty lame. Wow, what a primitive (laughs) technology that is. Wow, right? wow, that's it's moving fast. It's really moving yeah, it's fast. moving fast. So, so that's sort of the genesis of of the tools. And I sort of sat down and kind of just really over years thinking about how to put it into some kind of simple, um, codifiable set of techniques that people could use. And in this case, you know, data scientists for sure. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Understood. And 
why why data science though? Sounds like you've had many different careers from different in different areas, from music to data science to corporate. Um, why did you choose to specifically focus on helping data scientists succeed with their careers? Well, so it was a connection with the Open Data Science Conference. Um, they had reached for me about speaking. Uh, maybe they'd seen my TEDx talk, uh, but they they wanted to see if I could take my perspective uh, and this toolkit approach and apply it to data science. So the first thing they had me do was I, I went to London in September 2018 and spoke about AI, actually, sort of more specifically, mm-hmm. um, at the Accelerate AI Europe conference. I put together a talk called your brain's too small to manage your business. And it was about the commoditization of AI. And I sort of picked out four categories of uh, sort of partners or vendors or startups that could help companies, you know, understand how to apply AI. Um, And then they asked if I would do a talk at their event in New York about um, how to succeed at data science jobs that don't exist. So I do these workshops mostly at universities. I've done them at Columbia at NYU Stern, Baruch, Duke, Texas A&M, Queens College. Wow. Um, you know, lots of like B schools, business schools, talking about sort of future careers. And again, how to succeed at jobs that don't exist yet based on these tools. Um, so the ODSC people asked if I could, again, do a specific version focused on data science. So I put that together. And then people from LinkedIn saw it and asked if I could do um, a video version of it, make a course out of it. So I said, yeah, I'd love to do that. Amazing. It sounds like uh, your life is a chain of uh, really random events, <laughs> one after the other. Well, it is. But again, with very studious uh, networking behind it all, you know, like how I yeah. tracked you They're... down, in fact. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was that was amazing. Are you subscribed to the Data Science Insider? Personally, I love the Data Science Insider. It is something that we created, so I'm biased, but I do get a lot of value out of it. Uh, Data Science Insider, if you don't know, is a free, absolutely free newsletter, which we send out into your inbox every Friday. Very easy to subscribe to. Go to superdatascience.com slash DSI. And what do we put uh, together there? Well, our team goes through the most important updates of the past week or maybe several weeks and finds the news related to data science and artificial intelligence. You can get swamped with all the news, even if you filter it down to just AI and data science. And that's why our team does this work for you. Our team goes through all this news and finds the top five, simply five articles that you will find interesting for your personal and professional growth. Uh, They are then summarized, put into one email, and at a click of a button, you can access them look through the summaries. You don't even have to go and read the whole article. You can just read the summary and be up to speed with what's going on in the world. And if you're interested in what exactly is happening in detail, then you can click the link and read the original article itself. I do that almost every week myself. I go through the articles and sometimes I find something interesting. I dig into it. So if you'd like to get the updates of the week in your inbox, subscribe to the Data Science Insider absolutely free at superdatascience.com slash DSI. That's superdatascience.com slash DSI. And now let's get back to this amazing episode. Okay, so now that we've built up this uh, anticipation and uh, like even I'm like keen to to find out, tell us please, what is this future career uh, toolkit that you talk about in your course? 
Okay. So um, the Future Career Toolkit has three pieces. Again, trying to keep it simple. So the pieces are voice, antenna, and mesh. And um, I work closely with a guy here in Connecticut who's an ideation guru. Um, he does like ideation sessions for big corporate customers. He does sessions to help them create new products and services. He has a whole portfolio of uh, techniques that he uses. So he and I collaborated to put together some of this, um, some of these activities and particularly with voice. So the voice is the first piece. And really what it is, is a, it's a process for sort of finding your own value prop. It's almost like product development, product definition, if you will. And we use these triggers. We ask participants or learners to pick their favorite movie, TV show, book, or even game, right? We did a session actually in a high school and uh, this one kid said, uh, I'm inspired by Fortnite. Can I use that as my trigger? So we asked them to pick um, something that, that, they, that resonates with them and then tease out what the characteristic is. So for me, for example, I, my favorite movie recently was Blade Runner 2049. Mm. So the reason is I'm interested in future technology. Um, I like the sort of future culture perspective, um, you know, how the world might change, uh, even, you know, his love interest. I mean, what about a, like a robotic uh, VR girlfriend? I mean, the implications around technology and how it influences culture are pretty broad in that movie. And my favorite book was a book by an economist, Rusha Sharma, The Rise and Fall of um, Nations. And it's about how economies morph and change and grow, very often driven by technology and one of the technologies being data science. So, um, at a meta level, it's future technology and sort of global economics are the kind of triggers, right? So that's what came out of my voice exercise. And again, you know, every person is different, obviously, but it's a way for people to get to a sense of what they're interested in, what they're passionate about, what makes them want to get up in the morning, what they're excited about. And then the next phase is to talk about how that translates to careers. So that's the first, mm-hmm. first tool is the voice tool, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. That's exciting. Well, let's do it for me. Do if you don't mind. Let's just do it right now for me. Absolutely. Let's do it. So, so all right. So, what's, what's the first pick, question? So, pick a favorite book, TV show, movie, or game, and it can be from your childhood. It can be from last mm-hmm. week. Um, you know, whatever comes to mind. Again, first thought, best thought. You know, don't over engineer. <laughs> okay. what, what what pops into your head? All right. Okay. Um, uh, in terms of book, I really like uh, this book I'm reading now. I've mentioned on the podcast several times before. Uh, deep work about focus, about uh, isolating yourself from any kind of distractions and being able to be very productive and get the most every day. I feel fulfilled by uh, when I'm able to do that. In terms of movie, the first thing that pops to mind, uh, my girlfriend and I were watching a movie just yesterday and I really, really liked it. Uh, it's called Inside Out. It's uh, it's by Disney. It's about like you know that one, right? I What's love that movie. That's a great movie, man. Yeah, yeah. So I guess like it really describes well psychology of uh, in, in even for like absolutely acce- accessible to anybody uh, of joy, sadness, anger, disgust, and fear. And um, yeah, like I, I like understanding people's psychology. So yeah. that would be my answer. Off the top right, of the so head. I so I would say based on the movie, start with the movie. I love that movie. That what an amazing movie. There. Yeah. Um, people haven't people listening to the podcast haven't seen it. I would encourage you to check it out. 
very yeah, de- much deeper than it seems. I mean, it's a cartoon, but the stuff they're talking about. So you have an interest in sort of psychology and the way the mind works, right? And and I think the broader implication is how to maybe control or manage the mind based on the, the book you're describing, right? So maybe mm-hmm. implications are, um, this you know, is what we use to drive the antenna piece, right? Is, um, you know, where are conversations going on around, um, you know, psychology and, um, and sort of b- bigger picture thinking. And certainly I would say, based on what you do, tied to data science. So maybe it's sort of neuromorphic computing or maybe mm-hmm. it's um, areas where psychology and data are connecting. You know, they're now analyzing brain waves, right? And using brain waves to manipulate physical objects. I mean, prosthesis and uh, stuff like that, right? So interesting. That would be, interesting. Right? So that would be my sort of okay. take on what you're describing. Gotcha. Or like something like Neuralink, where their uh, brain implants, you know, brain uh, computer infra- interface and things like that. Yes, exactly. The connection between sort of psychology and brain function and technology and data. Mm, okay, fantastic. So that's kind of like my voice. So it, uh, that's one of the avenues I could explore uh, to become, because I see what you mean. Like if I start digging into that and sharing more about these topics, I will find it interesting myself and I will be able to keep going. I won't find it as a chore. I will find excitement in it and, and that way I will be able to dig into insights that no other people would find tedious and, you know, like, oh, I have to do this again. For me, it would be just a breeze. Yeah, because these triggers have kind of teased out or bubbled up what you think is interesting. Mm-hmm. And the implication is what a future career path might be or an additional or adjacent career path here. It doesn't have to mean you stop doing one thing and do something else. But again, these triggers sort of tease up, oh yeah, that's that is interesting to me. You know, hmm. Okay. Okay. Right? Very makes cool. Sense? I see. Yep, makes sense. Absolutely. All right. Let's move on to the second step. Okay. So the second piece is antenna, right? Um, and what you do in the antenna exercise is you try to track down, don't try, you do track down. <laughs> um where conversations are going on around the topics you teased out of the voice exercise, right? So the idea is you put together sources, um, the topic area, and maybe it's um, a more nuanced version of the sort of meta topics you teased out of the voice exercise, um, and then what kind of channel it is or what kind of source it is, right? And then the key is frequency, right? So how often are you going to check to see where new information around these topics is going on. So for an example, um, I, there's a TV show called Bloomberg Technology that I watch um, almost every day. It's on at five o'clock, it's produced in Silicon Valley. And they talk about sort of technology and business because they're, you know, they're just north of the South Bay. They, they're very focused on uh, not only what the FANG, you know, the major companies are doing uh, in technology, Google and Amazon and Microsoft and Twitter, Facebook. Um, but they also look at startups and they talk to all kinds of uh, reporters and they have journalists that track just what Facebook is doing. And and to be honest, they treat it a little bit the way Entertainment Tonight treats Hollywood stars. You know, they're, they're kind of gushing but and sometimes way too granular. But they talk about trending in technology and business. So for me, that's exciting. That's interesting. 
I want to see where the money's going. Where's venture capital getting invested? What companies are being acquired or um, creating new technologies that might transform business or culture, right? That's one example. And I want, that's like daily. Um, the New York Times, I read daily. There's a show on the BBC called Click. Um, I love the BBC. And that's a weekly show. And they talk, again, about sort of leading-edge technologies. They're a little farther out than Bloomberg Technology TV show. They're talking about things that are maybe still in university labs or even in the bowels of corporate R&D settings. Um, but that's, again, interesting stuff that's on the periphery that's going to probably eventually, to some degree, you know, work its way into the mainstream. Um, mm -hmm. So for you, I would say, you know, look for where, like the Neuralink. So start with Neuralink. Go to their, you put their website in your, in your list. And again, if you'll see in the, in the course, I built a framework, like a grid, right? The left column is the trigger. So in your case, it's sort of psychology and data or brain function and, and data and technology. The next column is the source. So that might be the Neuralink website. Um, the next is that it qualified that it is a website. So you don't get too skewed in one direction. I mean, you want to have a range of sources, right? And then the final column is frequency. Maybe you check it every day, every other day. Um, you see who's writing on the Neuralink website. Is there a blogger or a professor or an academic or a thought leader? Do they have a separate blog? And if they do, find where that is and maybe check that, depending on how frequently they update it, maybe once a week or whatever, every two weeks. Um, is there a LinkedIn group where conversations are going on around Brain I was about to say, like, what, where's the community? Where, where are the other people that, like that who are also yeah, interested yeah. in these things? Yeah. So thought leaders, community, all kinds of sources. You know, that, as I said in the, in the course, the good news is there are lots and lots of different sources of information. The bad news is there's lots and lots of sources of really good information. So the challenge, <laughs> <laughs> right? The challenge is winnowing and performing triage and rationalizing you know, and I'd say pick three to five to get started. And they're going to change and morph over your multiple data science careers. But, you know, pick three to five, a manageable number, and that are arranged. that aren't just websites or the elite newspapers or, um, you know, LinkedIn group. Like, make it, uh, make it a bunch of different sources. So you're cutting mm -hmm. a, a wide swath in terms of places to get good information. Yeah. Another tip I could give people is, uh, set up a Google notification. You can go onto Google and like uh, tell it to uh, notify you every time there's something related to Neuralink that comes out. It can be uh, it can notify you on a daily basis or on a weekly basis or a monthly basis, however often you want. It just comes to your inbox and it's just like a summary of all the uh, like articles and you can click and read about them. Uh, that way you don't have to go out searching for them as well. Yeah, no, that's a great tip. I'm a big fan of Google Alerts. I've actually even set it up so I have three main categories and it sends me a daily digest so it aggregates them all so it puts them mm -hmm. in one place which is that's, yeah, that's right. a great yeah, that's tip. right and I, I i said it wrong it's not google notifications google, google alerts right yeah google alerts yeah mm -hmm. yeah, yeah that's, that's a, a that's one. a great tool for sure yeah okay awesome so i found this i'm uh, i'm participating or i'm reading uh, with a frequency that's uh, acceptable to me um what's the next step so the next step the third a piece of the future career toolkit is what I call mesh. And it's, I think of it as sort of a 3d data visual visualization exercise. Um, years ago, LinkedIn used to generate what they called an in map. I don't know if you remember that, but it was a, 
color coded. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Like, like, like uh, all yeah, the connections. Like a, yeah, they're right, huge. Exactly. Huge, yeah, like yeah. all color coded, and uh, it was. It Why was did really they cool. stop? I wonder. Well, I have to conclude that the server load didn't translate to attributable revenue on some level, right? I mean, yeah, yeah. Somebody that's said. Right. This is fun, but it doesn't make us any money. So I think we should shut it down. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There is still a good software for it. I forget the name, but if I remember, we'll include in the show notes um, that uh, is able to do that, like visualize networks of people uh, exactly in the same way. Uh, I'll, I'll think of it later. But if somebody wants to do that, you can, I think you can export your connections from LinkedIn and then visualize it like that. Oh, cool. So, yeah. So that's kind of what this exercise is. Again, I'm. I describe myself as an inveterate networker. So I'm um, actually, I wrote a, I wrote a piece on LinkedIn recently called how to network in your pajamas. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's sort of based on, you know, how we're all in these virtual settings now, but you can see, you know, look at participants and who's posing questions and look at the chat and check out the Q and a and, and find people to connect with. I mean, when I moved to New York in 1976 to make a living as a bass player, I reached for Will Lee, who's quite a famous uh, bass player in New York, who's a friend, and said, what do I do? I'm in New York. And he said, schedule six jam sessions a day and panic to get to the next one. And I was mm. like, what does that mean? He said, and eventually one will turn into a gig, a paying gig, and then do five jam sessions a day and do the gig, and mm. then do two gigs and four jam sessions. So what that the, that's a metaphor for it's not what you know, it's who you know, right? You've got to let people know who you are. So that model still holds true in 2020 in the era of COVID-19. I mean, you've got to let people know who you are. So the, the um, mesh piece is about building a robust, um, complex network and, and doing it on an ongoing basis across a range of uh, topic areas. So what you do is you take the uh, antenna content, right? You've done that exercise. You have the sources. So now you drill down into that data, right? The data mm-hmm. and see who are the actual people or companies or organizations where these kinds of conversations in the case of what we discovered with you, Carol, like, you know, Neuralink or brain um, machine interfaces, you know, who are the people that are doing that work? So, you, you do, a, uh, I encourage people to do a LinkedIn search for sure. You could do a Google search, find out where people are having, you know, having this work actually done. So I think of the Neuralink thing, I think of certainly Silicon Valley. I mean, that, that, that company that Elon is funding. I mean, at the MIT Media Lab, there's stuff going on. So find out who's doing that work and reach for them on LinkedIn and get on their proverbial radar. Send them a connection request, mm-hmm. tell them who you are, what you're doing, if you want to, if you can have an in-person meeting, maybe uh, next year when this all passes, but at the very least have like a Zoom meeting, say you'd like to get 15 minutes on their calendar just to kind of introduce yourself and learn more about what mm. they're doing. And I think you find people are generally very responsive. I mean, it's, you know, the, the astute ones realize we're in a global community nowadays, and there are a lot of really smart, interesting people out there, and you don't want to miss an opportunity to connect with somebody. So. That's kind of what it is. And my admonition is, this is me wagging my finger at the camera for those of you watching the video, um, add five people a week to your LinkedIn profile. Make it your job. Mm. I especially say this to Gen Z learners and early career millennials. You know, if you 
sit down at five o'clock on Friday and you haven't added five people to your network, get to it. Like track, use, use criteria again from the voice and antenna exercise and use those as search criteria and track down somebody in, you know, neuromorphic computing in your case, Carol, or, you know, brain machine interface, use that as the criteria. And you can narrow it down if you want to look in a particular vertical. If you want to know who's doing that in, say, automotive or travel and transportation or doing it in retail or in energy or education and find people and get, you know, get connected to them. Because mm-hmm. right? the consciously, not just, not just adding random people like hundreds by, by the hundreds. You, you want to like read, understand, uh, read about their work and, and do like a conscious connection on LinkedIn. Yeah, absolutely. And it's going to change for sure. I mean, to be fair, just the way my careers have changed, you know, whatever data science role you're in now, odds are good. It's you're going to do something else because you can, not because you have to, because there's lots yeah. of opportunities. So, I mean, typical years of service now is at 18 months to three years. At you know, that's a general number at most big corporations for sure. Um, yep. You know, you may work at a big company, you may work at a startup, you might start your own company, you might sell it, go to another company. I mean, so all by saying that your mesh is going to change and morph. I mean, if you look at my chart around my mesh, you know, the, there's a big clump of yellow that are musicians because I was a professional musician for 20 years. There's a big, uh, they're blue coded, the, the IBM context, 15 years at IBM. Um, I have a whole sort of futurist cluster, if you will, because I deal with sort of workplace futurists. I have a whole sort of data science um, set of connections mm-hmm. as well. So, so that's okay. kind of... Okay, yeah. gotcha. Interesting. So like a couple of questions. Uh, so I see, um, you know, uh, yeah, this is this is my first question. Um, somebody, somebody listening to this might think, oh, like, uh, Chris, it's very easy for you to connect. You know, you're very experienced. You've been in the industry. Like you have you have a brand, people would love to connect with you as well. But if I'm just starting out into data science, if I'm just like beginning my journey or I'm a data scientist um, with just a few years of experience, how, how, like, I don't feel confident that people I reach out to will uh, be open to connecting. Yes, we live in a global network, but they get so many messages, they'll probably probably get lost in in their inbox. Um, What are some of your tips for reaching out and effect doing this effectively connecting connecting with people and showing them that hey like th- this is going to be really worth their time or you you're not just another random person that's connecting for no apparent reason you've done your research how, how what tips do you have yeah well so first of all i have to do a little sidebar plug for the conversation you and kate had encourage people to go to linkedin uh live and check out um Carell's conversation with Thank kate you. about branding as a data scientist very cool. Um, I would also say, I mean, you ultimately the relationship has to be give and take, right? Quid pro quo. You have to bring something to the conversation that's of interest to them. Because again, at the risk of sounding crass, people in roles of responsibility at companies, at startups, wherever, um, they uh, they're trying to make themselves look good. They're trying to do a good job for whomever they work for, even if it's their company, right? If, uh, in which case they work for the market, they work for the marketplace, right? Um, mm-hmm. So you, the key is understanding what your brand is, your voice, and then representing it. So I encourage um, data scientists, everybody, but certainly data scientists, think about how you're going to represent your work. 
So do you mm-hmm. point people from your LinkedIn profile to GitHub, to Bitbucket, um, to an actual application that's out in the world? Maybe there's an app on uh, the Google Play Store or whatever. Um, you need to be, uh, be able to share your work, show your, you know, what you've done. Um, and if, you, if you're still just starting out, maybe even there's like a capstone project you did in school or something interesting you put together or a hackathon you participated in just to give, give yourself credibility so they can see, Oh, this guy or gal did something interesting and you know, they're starting out, but they participated in a hackathon or they wrote a piece of code that's on GitHub or that gets a lot of good reviews or um, you know, if you do a talk somewhere, post it on SlideShare and point to it from LinkedIn um, if you put together some charts, a presentation, even for like a team meeting or even for a class, if you're still in school, you know, create a, some deliverables. We used to call them work products at IBM, right? And put them out there where people can see them. And don't be afraid to point people to them. It, it's a little bit of boasting. It's a little bit of acting. It's a little bit of performing, all those things. But, um, you know, be confident that you have something to offer and people will respond. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's that's some great advice. I would also add to that uh, something that worked for me. So somebody, something that someone else has done and it worked for me. I, surpri- I was very surprised at how <laughs> effective it was. Um, if you write a blog post and say the top five influencers in the space of uh, brain to machine interface and you list the top five people that you truly believe are the influencers there and the ones that you want to connect with. So you just write a blog post, you publish it, and you know you promote it a little bit somehow with through your network or you through medium or somehow else and you get people to read it and then eventually and you tag those people eventually they'll they'll notice that they've been tagged in a blog post they've been named one of the top five influencers by this person who's this person who who are they clearly they have interest and like when i was tagged like that i I instantly went and because that blog post actually uh made like was very useful to people right a lot of people saw it and they like oh cool you know who who should we um you know take courses from or who uh, is uh, who are the people that are helping the space of data science uh, and I was uh, uh, happy or like proud to be mentioned there so I was like oh who wrote this blog post and then I reached out to that person invited them to the podcast it was it was a really cool um, unconventional way of getting somebody's attention and I I recommend that I think that strategy would would work for at least a couple of the people on the list that I think they would notice it. Yeah, no, absolutely. And similarly on Twitter, right? I mean, if, if you have a Twitter handle, you know, like mention something like when I go to events, I attended COGX last week, a virtual event in London, right? And, you know, take a screen grab of somebody speaking and tweet it and put their handle in the tweet, and then they're going to like it or retweet it or whatever. And then again, you've made some kind of connection, some kind of digital connection with them. Yeah, fantastic. There's lo- there's lots of like uh, creative ways. You just got to get creative, and then you'll you'll find find a way to make it happen. Yeah, and and be be bold, be proactive. I mean, uh, encourage encourage you know today's learners and workers to like you know put yourself out there again to find what you're brand is and then don't be afraid to represent it because there are lots of ways to do it as you're saying on linkedin on twitter maybe you know you do it on instagram lots of channels lots of and for free linkedin is a great publishing platform too i mean i don't publish nearly as often as i should but uh you know you can put up a post and then tag people and uh 
and get people's attention. Certainly people in your network will view it and, and then they'll point other people to it. It's, it's a great, great tool. Okay. All right. And um, speaking of the mesh, uh, another thing you could do is once you've connected to like one of these people in the space, because you are interested in this space more and more, you can ask them, hey, can you connect me like after a few chats? Can you connect me with X and Y who, who you know they're connected because of LinkedIn? So that's another t uh, technique. Yeah, um, no, absolutely. So, so I just want to follow on that to point, you. though. Sure. I just want to say, I mean, that's I describe that as the Twitter math, right? So when you follow somebody or you connect with somebody on LinkedIn, go to see who their connections are, scroll through, and pick out people that look interesting that they're connected to and reach for them. Same with Twitter, too. It's a, it's a great way to see who they follow. And that you can do without even, you know, following them. Just see who's on their list. That's an open database, a data set of people that they think are interesting or important or contributing to the discipline. And, you know, follow them and or find them on LinkedIn and reach for them. So, again, lots of ways to do it, to work the, work the tools to expand your mesh. Absolutely, absolutely. And um, another question for you. Can you have multiple voices at the same time? You mentioned that your voice might change over time. You might be interested in different things. But can you have multiple voices at the same time? Yes, I think you can, absolutely. And I mean, the example I cite is a, a woman that I know who uh, worked at IBM. She's a millennial. Um, she was actually there after my time. But I remember, and I think this is somewhat of a fair, fairly typical millennial um, kind of worldview or approach. Uh, her name is Samantha. She would say, well, yeah, I, uh, during the day, I, I do social media at a global 50 tech company. So she worked in corporate headquarters supporting uh, the then CEO, Ginny Rometty. She said, then at night, I'm uh, a seamstress. I design and make clothes. And then on the weekends, I'm a DJ. <laughs> so <laughs> she has one of three concurrent careers. Now for me, so I still do gigs. I still play in like three different bands. Um, I just did a wow. session on Sunday. Uh, the keyboard player lives in the next town over and he's got a barn. And we played last summer at this festival called Sailfest in New London, Connecticut, right on the water. Um, and this year it's virtual. So they asked if we'd put a video together. So we put together a little vignette. We called it a soft day's night, take off on the Beatles movie, a hard day's night. Um, mm -hmm. And we had the band leader, Otis, introduced the cameraman come on in the bar we're gonna do a show and then we the band came down the stairs from the, the attic hey we're gonna do a set for sale fest and then we recorded like six tunes put the video camera at one end of the barn um and then sat on the stage at the end and just did a little salute have a great sale fest we'll see you next summer hopefully in person and uh everyone mm -hmm. stay safe and so anyway yeah you can have more than one voice Fantastic, yeah. So you can apply this not just to your data science career, but to your hobbies and to uh, pretty much anything else you're doing. Yeah, absolutely. And again, data science permeates data at a meta level, like everything, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, like two steps back, I always say, especially when I speak to like business executives, you know, every company today is a technology company, whether they like it or not. They've got to be involved in it on some level or they're going out of business, right? I mean, it's just that simple. Yeah. So the... Translation for data scientists is there's lots of opportunities to do interesting stuff around data and data science across all kinds of companies, all kinds of verticals, all kinds of businesses, all kinds of disciplines. 
So it's pretty mm-hmm. cool, exciting. Okay, and uh, in terms of this, this framework, one final thing to like really drive it home. I've built the voice. I understood the voice. I've uh, set up my antenna. I've uh, created this mesh, and it's growing. What's the end goal? What's the end outcome of this framework? What What do I uh, get, or what do I? Uh, how do I know that I've succeeded? Like, what kind of criteria should I set myself and say, if in three months I have this, then I've succeeded in building my voice antenna and mesh, and you know I'm on the right track. Yeah. So I think the idea, again, is to look for what your next career is going to be, right? So these, these tools are all designed to help you track down what the next opportunity might be. So as you follow um, people using your antenna and you connect with them using the mesh tool, uh, you, you establish relationships that, uh, so when an opportunity comes up, either with a person that you know in your mesh or someone in their network and their mesh, right? Um, you, you say, well, I'm, you know, I'm interested in doing something in your space. I see that you're developing whatever, like plug-in, um, you know, modules for, so we can drive cars, you know, with a chip in our neck or whatever. I'd love to be involved in that activity. Let me know if there's an opportunity or if you know anybody in your network. I mean, at the end of the day, you want to let people know that you're looking for opportunities and what your interests are and keep them apprised of, any work you're doing that's interesting, places where you speak, uh, talks you give, charts you put together, um, code you write, applications you develop, relationships with other people in the thought leadership space in that particular area. And it's like playing the odds, right? It's a numbers game at the end of the day. But that's the way you get ready to be offered an opportunity or have someone identify an opportunity for you to move into your next career and then the one after that. So... You can set a target for, you know, like I always say to people, once you get comfortable in your job, start looking for your next job. I mean, I learned that really at IBM. Um, But it's like, think about what you want to be doing in six months or even a year, build out the mesh of people in that space and keep in touch and let them know as you get closer to to wanting to transition um, that you're looking for an opportunity. And again, it's, you know, it's, it's all about who you know. So you just have to sort of play the odds and uh, continue to work it. Wow, fantastic. Fantastic, Chris. Thank you. Thank you very much. Very, <laughs> very insightful and I think can be very valuable. I actually wrote down uh, here as you were speaking, I thought that this framework could be helpful indeed, not just for people in data science, but I know a friend of mine that is currently searching for like what is their calling in life you know with this covid and the jobs being disrupted and sitting at home and not having this uh, ability to uh, interact socially and you know like it, you you get to thinking like what what is my calling what is my purpose in life and i have a friend like that and i want to um share this network this uh framework with her she has not not, not in data science she has nothing to do with data science but Definitely, this will be very helpful for her. So thank you again for for sharing this. I'm sure this will be useful for people listening to this podcast and also maybe people that they know and love and care about that they want to help out as well. Yeah, well, thank you. No, I think I think that's exactly right. I think it can it can work across any discipline or any skill set. Yeah. The other thing I would say, just sort of um, 
in closing, I guess, is that my general advice, um, certainly to data scientists, but to ev- anyone using this, this tool kit, is threefold. Chase the maelstrom, find the chaos, go for the mayhem. It served me well for like 45 years. What is maelstrom? I, I haven't heard that word before. <laughs> maelstrom is like, uh, like a whirlpool going down uh, into a, uh, an abyss or whatever, right? So chase the maelstrom, find the chaos, and go for the mayhem. Go for the mayhem. Yeah. Tell us, what does that mean? Why? So what that means is, and again, this is what, how I've, you know, this is me looking back on my multiple careers, like go where they don't know what it is yet. Mm-hmm. And certainly from a data science perspective, there's a lot of that going on, right? A lot of places where they don't know what it is yet. Because then you can help create it. You can help design it. Um, you can be part of a sort of community that's doing something new and interesting. You can, in theory, be gainfully employed and remunerated, right, for your work, get paid for what you, what you do. Um, but you want to avoid stuff that's been going on for a long time, right? Uh, the cool thing is there's lots of new and interesting stuff going on. I would say, like, if you have an opportunity to work at a company, and this is with all due respect, like a staid you know, multi-generational whatever company, tech company, for example, um, or, or a startup, um, I would say go to the big company for a little while because you'll learn things in that setting you won't learn anywhere else. I mean, stuff I learned at IBM, you know, the way global multinational companies work, the rate and pace that they run at, the range of portfolio and services, managing across a matrix, the level of quality of work that they expect, I mean, it's pretty, uh, it's pretty remarkable, but don't do it for long. Maybe do it for two or three years at the most. And then go somewhere where Jason Maelstrom, go where they don't know what it is, where some company is inventing something new. I wrote this kind of facetious note from a CEO to employees, again, on LinkedIn a few years ago called, What, You're Still Here? And it would be a, <laughs> pink, slip, a pink slip from the CEO to any employee who'd been in the company for three years. And the tone was, how come you're still here? Why haven't you left to start a company we want to buy? Or why aren't you working in the supply chain somewhere? Or why aren't you at a partner doing something to help us grow our model? Thanks for stopping by. You're fired. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Wow. Right? So that's, that's my take anyway. And it's, it's moving fast, it being global, the global economy, right? So all by our saying, there's lots of really interesting stuff for data scientists to be doing. And others as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. Fantastic. Uh, Chris, thank you so much. Uh, it's been a huge pleasure. This will be very helpful. Um, before I let you go, can you please tell us where are the best places for people to find you, follow you, your career, and learn more about your work? Okay. Well, first of all, I would say, please reach for me on LinkedIn. Um, I'm happy to connect. I, I'm a big fan of LinkedIn as a, as a way to connect. And again, their mission writ large, I don't know if many people really know this, but they would say, taking two steps back, that they want to connect um, talent with opportunity at scale. Um, and that certainly resonates with me, right? So reach me on LinkedIn. Um, follow me on Twitter, at Chris Bishop. That's my Twitter handle. Uh, I have a website called Improvising Careers. Uh, you can follow me there. I have a travel log where I talk about all the interesting events that I attend and places where I speak. Um, and I have a YouTube channel with some videos as well. I have stuff on SlideShare, presentations and videos. So those are all ways to connect. But yeah, please connect for sure. 
And I'm happy to have a Fantastic. conversation with any and all of your listeners about how to apply these tools. So. That's that's really great. That's really great. And uh, don't, of course, don't forget uh, about Chris's uh, course, uh, Future Proofing Your Data Science Career. It's on LinkedIn as well. And on LinkedIn Learning, you can find it there. Very cool. Chris, one final question. What's a book that you can recommend to our listeners? Oh, yeah. So I'm going to hold this up, even though maybe people aren't all watching. But um, my, my recent book, actually, after the Rishi Sharma book, is called More, uh, A History of the World Economy from the Iron Age to the Information Age. The author is uh, Philip Coggan. He's a writer for The Economist magazine. Um, but I encourage anyone, and even and data scientists especially, because you know data on some level has been part of how global economies are created and evolved and morphed and developed for literally thousands of years. So for those of you who are either history buffs or into uh, economics, um, it's written in a very entertaining style, um, but he talks about, again, the how economies have morphed and changed and driven by technology specifically um, and data science as it relates to you know, various aspects of technological evolution. So yeah, that's my current- Fantastic. Uh, more by Philip Kogan, uh, check it out. Uh, history and data science together love it love it um chris once again thank you so much it's been a huge pleasure having you on the show i'm sure this will help lots of people well thank you Carol. it was my pleasure to be on with you thanks very much for the invitation i really appreciate it so there you have it everybody thank you so much for joining us for this podcast i personally enjoyed this conversation i think that I, I like to think that uh, in life, I know what I'm passionate about, I know what I want to do, but this was still very useful to me uh, because it helped me, it gave me a framework to identify, well, hold on, what if I want to have more voices? What if there's other things that I think I'm passionate about or I'm trying out and how would I go about investigating that? Or how would, how would I discover additional things in the first place that I'm passionate about? And even this exercise showed me that Maybe I'm passionate about psychology and maybe that's something I should look into further. And moreover, it's a great framework to share with friends and colleagues and those who might still be discovering themselves. I, I have at least one person in mind who, whom I'm going to talk to about this framework. I hope you enjoyed this podcast as much as I did and got some valuable takeaways from here and maybe even some actionable steps. And as usual, you can uh, find all of the materials for this podcast, including a link to Chris's course and his LinkedIn, where you can connect with him at the show notes at superdatascience.com slash 379. That's superdatascience.com slash 379. Make sure to connect with Chris. Uh, he has a very cool photo on LinkedIn where he's holding a bass guitar. And at the same time, if you know anybody in your life, not necessarily in the space of data science, but in general, who is searching for their passion, how to build their career and the next steps to take in this professional space, then send them this episode. It's very easy to share. Just send them the link, superdatascience.com slash 379. And on that note, thank you very much, my friends, for being here today. I look forward to seeing you back here next time. And until then, Happy analyzing.